Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On September 20th, 2016, 17 people put their name into the hat for a chance to share their stories with our audience at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. We got to hear 14 of them. Our theme for the evening was Lessons Learned. We heard stories about lessons learned in childhood and as adults, and recurring lessons learned over and over throughout life. Matthew Kabik won with his story about the lessons he learned at a school for children with cerebral palsy. Here's Matthew. All right. um, So I uh, am the proud graduate of the South Central School for Cerebral Palsy. Um, I don't have cerebral palsy in a really big way, not like a lot of folks uh, who are in wheelchairs, who can't walk, uh, who have a hard time speaking. Uh, I have it in a very mild way. And um, I'm lucky in that, and I, I recognize that. But uh, I'm still, I still struggle a little bit. Um, sometimes my hands refuse to work. Sometimes um, you know, I shake without trying. Uh, my eyes do weird shit. Um, so my parents put me in this school to help me learn how to be different and how to be comfortable with being different. Um, and the benefit of that was uh, that I was surrounded by other people who were also very different. And we all knew we were different. The thing that people never give children credit for is that they are acutely aware of if they are the same as others or the different, uh, different compared to other people. And I was entirely different as were every other, every other human being in this place. Uh, and I learned lessons. I learned lessons that I guess some people learn in preschool, um, but also lessons that you only learn at this place. Um, learning to slow down when you speak, learning to uh, tie your own shoes, learning to walk without falling. Um, and that, those were the things that were taught by the teachers. But there were also things that were taught by the students. Uh, things like how to laugh at yourself, uh, how to have a sense of community and not be hurt when somebody outside of that community laughs at you, uh, how to accept that you're different. And there was one teacher in particular in this regard. I'm going to call her Elise because I don't know her name because names aren't that important when you're so different. You recognize each other by your faults and those faults are beautiful. And uh, Elise... Um, I'm, I'm sure she was a, a, just a typical young girl, but to me, uh, I want you to imagine somebody who uh, is like a, a finch caught in copper wire or somebody like, a, like a, 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 a fawn that's about to step on a bear trap. Her legs simply didn't work. She was caught in metal and gears that were supposed to somehow help her and they never did, and even at that young age, we knew they wouldn't. But uh, her hands worked, and her arms worked, and my legs worked, so together we made a complete person, and we were very aware of that. Um, So we became fast friends. She would uh, help me tie my shoes, and I would help move her around whenever her legs cramped too much, or the weight of the machinery on her legs was simply too much. She would write my name down because my hands shake too much to write. She would 
laugh and smile and make a joke of our illness uh, and our syndromes, and uh, that did more for me than anything that the teachers at that school could. Another thing that I learned when I was at this cerebral palsy school was that it's very easy to become angry when you realize that you will never ever be the same as other people. And I had this deep, deep anger in me. Uh, we would do stupid things like uh, make peanut butter Play-Doh just for, the, for the, uh, the ability to move food around in a bowl in order to scoop it out, in order to shape it however you want. And I couldn't do those things. My hands wouldn't let me, my arms wouldn't let me, my brain wouldn't let me. And I would be so filled with anger that I would knock things off the table and the teachers had to restrain me. And Elise would calm me down and she'd say, listen, it's not a big deal, watch this. And she'd get up on her hands, which were fine. Only her legs were deeply affected and she'd get up on her hands and she'd walk around on them like she was born to do it, like she was a finch released from that copper wire, like she was a, a fawn who managed to get away from the bear trap. She was a normal human being, a normal little girl who was having a good time and laughing and smiling. And she could see how, how fun it was for other people. And being a good friend, she wanted to teach me how to do the same thing. And I couldn't because my hands are so weak and they shake and my muscles are just completely messed up and have been from birth. And I would try and I would fail and she would try and she would succeed and she would laugh because that was the one time in her life that she was not some little girl caught up in this dumb fucking machinery. And I mistook the laughter at the freedom that she was experiencing for the laughter at me. And one day when she was upside down, enjoying her life, enjoying being free of that metal, I got too angry and I pushed her over. And I want you to imagine the sound of of metal hitting concrete and I want you to imagine her face when she looked at me and I want you to imagine an entire relationship and the foundation for it disappearing. And I want you to imagine that lesson permeating your entire life. For what is a lesson if not something you remember forever? Matthew earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Teddy Feinberg. Teddy told us about how he got into some trouble almost immediately upon arriving in New Zealand for a semester abroad. So I went to college out in the Pacific Northwest, Ellensburg, Washington. And when I went to Ellensburg, Washington my freshman year, I made two friends from Seattle named Nate Block and Justin Mum. And they told me they were studying abroad in New Zealand and I told them I was going. I knew nothing about New Zealand. Zero about New Zealand. Zero. So anyway, I figured I was going with my two good friends. Justin, I think he invented the gravity bong. He had a D plus average going into his sophomore year and didn't come back to school. He didn't make it to New Zealand. And my friend Nate, who was supposed to come with me, he went to a different school in New Zealand. They picked us out of a hat. I went to Hamilton, New Zealand, which was a complete dump. And he went to Christchurch, which was the bomb city. That's on the South Island. Hamilton's in the North Island. Are you with me? Are you with me? 
All right. So I, I still go to New Zealand. I'm still going to go. I'm going to conquer my fears. I'm not going to sit there and say, I'm going to let my friends protect me. I'm going to go knowing no one, and I put myself out there. I get on a plane, 13-hour plane ride. I'm in New Zealand. No, no one. Know nothing about the country. I know they film Lord of the Rings there. That is it. That's the only thing I know about New Zealand. Week into my trip in New Zealand, I go to a rugby game. And I'm with a group of students from my school at Hamilton. And I turn to them during this rugby game, and I say, I'm going to run out of that rugby field. There's 10,000, 15,000 fans of the building. I'm running out onto that field. I'm putting my name on the, on the map right now in Hamilton, New Zealand. That's what I'm doing. And they're like, you're not going to do that. And I was like, you have no idea who I am. How are you going to tell me what I'm going to do? I'm going to run out of that field. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it right here, right now. They're like, no, you're not. I was like, fuck you. Watch me do it. And I hand them my flip-flops. And we're in the front row, and it's like a football field. So basically, like, there's sidelines. Like, there's one team, like, like where this dude is. The team's standing right here. Like, so I hand him my flip-flops, and I look at the field, and I hop the fucking fence, and I go. And I'm just running. I have no idea what's going on. I am running. I literally break through the team in front of me. And it's like a football. I'm at like a 50-yard line. I'm in the middle of the field. The stadium's rocking, and a security guard crushes me. And I'm wearing, I'm wearing, I don't know who's an NBA fan, but I'm wearing this awesome Atlanta Hawks t-shirt. Old school Hawks. They actually brought the logo back. And the security guard rips the Hawks t-shirt, like, boom, like, the, the, the Hawks t-shirt's done. I'm like, dude, you suck, man. I get up, I do like a touch, like a sack dance, you know, like a big defense alignment after he gets a sack in a football game. I do a dance, the crowd's going crazy. I get tackled again. I'm like, I can't believe I did this. So, anyway, they, the security guards take me and they're like, you're, you're getting deported. You're, you're, you're leaving this country right now. You're going back to America. I was like, what? I can't go back. I just got here, dude. Like, this isn't cool, man. And he's like, you're leaving. So they take me down into the bottom of the stadium, and there's a paddy wagon there, and they throw me in a paddy wagon, and there is a wasted dude in the paddy wagon who is butt naked. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, <laughs> this is getting serious. I mean, and he's really, I mean, he's so wasted. He's like... I mean, he's defecating in the corner. It's really inappropriate. And he's yelling at me, and I'm just like, this is, this is too much, man. Like, I shouldn't have done that, man. So they give me the police station, they fingerprint me, and they're like, yo, do you like the soft pillow or the hard pillow? Because you're getting one or the other tonight. And other people are like, you're, you're done, you're getting deported. No, of course, police officer's there. And I was like, oh, man, give, give me the hard pillow, dude. So whatever, they bring me back, the guy's fingerprinting me, and the police officer's like, Dude, you're not getting deported. I was like, word. He's like, that was awesome, man. He's like, you were all over television, dude. And I was like, word, dude. So they let me out. And I'm not kidding. I knew no one there. Well, everyone, like all, like our student, our dorm was waiting for me in the lobby of the police station, rocking. We went out that night, got completely wasted. My fine was 100 bucks to the Cancer Society. There's no real point to the story other than just saying, you know what, 
If you're ever worried, if you're ever concerned, let go of your fears, let go of your insecurities, and just fucking do it. Our final story comes from Aaron Spangler, who told us the story of how he was traumatized by the Pinewood Derby as a small child. Here's Aaron. I just want to call attention to the fact that I am 27, and I have to pull down a mic for a, from a 16-year-old, so I'm already starting like down here, literally down here. Um, all right, so I, I'm six years old, and I'm under a table, which is where any six-year-old would want to be when there's a lot of people around and there's a party and there's a lot of excitement because you get to be all alone. But the problem is I'm bawling my eyes out. And the bigger problem is I'm at what's known, at least where I'm from, as the Pinewood Derby. Does anyone know the Pinewood Derby? For those of you who don't know, this is a the most ridiculous pseudo-masculine competition of wit and skill and carpentry for Cub Scouts. And it's not for the kids, it's, it's the kids' dads. The kids' dads are bucking heads left and right. Who's the better carpenter? And I'm kind of caught in the middle of it because I just got my ass handed to me four times by my little car that, you know, was like a little wedge shape like that. It was really simple. It wasn't no frills. It was t painted like a tiger, which I thought was pretty cool at the time because I was a tiger. I was a Cub Scout. Um, but I got my ass handed to me. I got every race. I, you know, they even have a loser's bracket for you in case, oh, it's okay, kid. No, I got straight out of that one too. And I realized I would like to say I wasn't crying because of that. I was absolutely crying because of that. But the other reason I was crying was because my dad wasn't there, and he said he was going to be there. And I'm sitting there alone, and I'm thinking back on us building this car together, and if I had noticed the look of concern on his face, if I had noticed the anxiety, the way that he wrung his hands when he was teaching me how to use a sander and how to use the saw that I can't name anymore because I don't have the badge for that, <laughs> I might have noticed how concerned he was and how scared he was. And so, me being six, cried my balls out, or <laughs> cried my balls off, I guess, and uh, totally embarrassed myself in front of everybody. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why wasn't my dad there? And it wasn't until years and years and years later, three years ago, actually, to be exact, we're reflecting on this time, and I bring up the Pinewood Derby, which is like a curse word in my house. I'd imagine it's a curse word for a lot of houses. It scars people. I, seriously, I would imagine that there are people who have built like replica tracks in their backyard, just like ready to get the exact aerodynamics of it. But that wasn't us. And I bring up the Pinewood Derby, and my dad takes a drink from his vodka. And he says, I ran away to Philly that night. He works in Philly. He works with uh, the School District of Philadelphia as a consultant. He ran away to Philly that night because he was too afraid to see me compete because his dad didn't teach him about tools. He didn't have any of those skills. 
And so he runs to Philly, he runs away because he can't handle his own failures. And he's talking to his coworker, his young coworker, and they're out getting a drink later and he says, he fesses up, I'd imagine he had one or two, and he fesses up and he says, why that he's there that night instead of with me? And the second that he says Pinewood Derby to his coworker, the color drains from his face. See, his coworker is from North Philly, and he had a kind of rough childhood, but he was a Cub Scout too. And when he was competing, he didn't have a dad who was around in the picture that much, not because he didn't love him, but because he wasn't able to. He was working three jobs at the time. And so he put literally the block of wood on the track and put it down. And he got creamed again and again and again until he just dropped out of Cub Scouts. And my dad said, I could tell he was dealing with the repercussions of this. He was saying in his head, I, in my upper middle class whiteness, ran away. I had the choice to run away, and I did. Whereas some people don't have that choice. And so he was apologizing to me in his own way. And the lesson that he gave me was that if you can show up in any way, in any possible way, you show up. But more importantly, what he told me was, fuck the Pinewood Derby. <laughs> Thank you. Watch for our next podcast episode with stories from our October Story Slam when we heard stories around the theme Unmasked. Remember, you can purchase tickets on our website, yorkstoryslam.com, and while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at thebeerace.com. This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Lagunitas Brewing Company. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.